We record on Turrbal and Yagara country in Mianjin, Brisbane. Brisbane Festival recognises the integral role Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples continue to play in the creative and artistic events and celebration spaces and pays respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Beginner's Call takes you backstage with Brisbane Festival and into the hearts, minds and rehearsal rooms of the casts, creators and critics behind Queensland's most anticipated event of the year. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Beginner's Call, a Brisbane Festival podcast. Our guest today is the lady of the hour, the best of the fest, Brisbane Festival's incomparable artistic director, Louise Bazina. Hello. Hello, Louise. Welcome. Guest number one, how do you feel? Very excited. It's lovely to have this chance to have a chat with you, Adam, and just have a talk, really. Now, Lou, you've just unveiled your third Brisbane Festival program, which has been many years in the making. How does it feel having it all out there? It's such a good feeling when you can finally have the grand reveal and the programs are on the street and the banners make sense and everything starts to come together. But I have to admit, and I'm sure anybody who puts any creative vision out into the world, there's that moment where you, you know, your heart skips a beat are people going to like this? Does it resonate? Does it do all of the things that it needs to do? It made sense in my head, but does it make sense in other people's minds? But all in all, it's always that great feeling when it's finally out and it's rehearsal to showtime. Mm. You, you mentioned there something that's quite interesting, which was, does it do everything that it needs to do? And I think, uh, you know, Brisbane Festival is, is, of course, Queensland's largest annual celebration of arts and culture. It is an event that is of the people, by the people, for the people. How do you set about making something that is genuinely inclusive and representative of everybody? It's a great question and it's really difficult and in fact increasingly difficult. And I think that this is the the big challenge for festivals going forward, I think for any arts programs and anything that's curated. However, I think for a festival and a city festival that has the city's name in its title, there is absolutely more pressure that's placed when when that is the landmark. That's the hook. That's the anchor. And so how do you become a festival for the city? And there's a range of different ways. Of course, there's the popular thing, the big show that's been made that you know your city needs to see because so they should. They shouldn't have to get on a plane to see it. But then you don't want to be a cookie-cutter version of every other festival either or any other arts program. You need to find a way to give it a personality that feels distinctly of this place, which is difficult, actually. Some cities have a very obvious personality that just exudes out of it in every way, whereas others, it's a bit more subtle. But I think that you need to take your time to get to know Brisbane a little bit more, which I feel, given I've lived here for so long, I feel like I've got that as an advantage. But I'm one person in a big city. And so I suppose the thing that I take comfort in for me is knowing that all of the cultural venues have exciting new existing work in repertoire in all of the major venues. But The great gift, I think, of the 2020 festival was really this opportunity to connect deeply with community. And I think despite 
the COVID period, it's very much my way of working, which is taking art out of traditional places and putting them, you know, out in community. That doesn't diminish the program or the product, but what it does is give you a direct connection. And I used to talk about this a lot when I was the director of the Bleach Festival. It's about artistic interventions. You touch on the scope and breadth of this year's Brisbane Festival. And and just to to, to look at it in, in terms of numbers for, for listeners, we're talking over 580 unique events, uh, 1,000 Queensland-based artists involved, 22 new works for this year's festival. At that scale, where do you begin piecing together a festival such as this? Mm, it's a really, really good question. And there's not a formula. It, it, there's so much instinct that comes. And I think that that's inherent in any creative or any artist. It comes from an instinct base. That's not enough, of course. You can't just base everything on that gut feeling. But it, it does play a big part in the way I do my work. I also look at precincts and key hubs of activation and activity and gathering. So, for example, South Bank has been a gathering place for Brisbane Festival for many, many years. So, we know that we need to bring that to life. What are the ingredients? What are the shows? What are the projects? What's the invitation to the community? And then the venues. There's QPAC, there's Powerhouse. What's going to look amazing on the Powerhouse stage? What's going to make the Playhouse stage come to life in a way that you can't access any other time of the year. And that's the great gift of a festival is to push ourselves, push artists, push companies to make work that they couldn't make at any other time of the year. That needs to all be considered. Of course, there's the river and Brisbane's art boat that is now a very big part of the Brisbane Festival program. But just to come back to the new work, I think it's increasingly uh, difficult, particularly for independent companies, but even companies that have a subsidy, whether they're a major or a small to medium, you know, it, it's a really big undertaking to commission and produce a world premiere. It needs a lot of investment, it needs a lot of time, and it needs an opportunity for artists to take a risk, to have the support behind them to dream and to take their career, their their, their thinking to another place and then how we build audiences into that. And that is a critical role, in my opinion, for festivals. We're sitting here on the eve of Brisbane Festival 2022, which is your third festival. We're looking forward, of course, with great optimism. And I think that optimism is is one of the themes that comes so clearly through in this year's programming. But I do want to look back. In September 2020, at the height of the global pandemic, Brisbane Festival became one of the first organisations in the world to successfully and safely deliver a major live performance event under COVID-19 restrictions. This was your first festival. Two years on, if, if you look back at that time and that period in your life, what, what are the memories now? Oh, gosh, there are so many. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that defining moment when everything crashed as everybody experienced globally in that March, April of 2020. And for me, it was the moment when the festival program that I'd been working on since I was appointed just went into the bin. It, it, it just disappeared. It was just impossible to fathom. 
But there was never a doubt in my mind that we wouldn't do a festival. And to a a board who haven't actually seen anything that I've physically done yet for Brisbane Festival and our partners, our shareholders through the government, donors, etc., to conceive of something in this new world order just seemed probably quite unimaginable. But I, I, I don't know, it just felt like... It, it, it sometimes there's those moments where you've just got absolute clarity and you know I'm doing this and we're going to get there. And I knew that there was a great team, my colleague Charlie and I, we just kind of got into the trenches. And for me, I just thought it, it was very simple. It's not revolutionary. We just take the festival to the people. And it was, again, inspired by what was happening around the world. And in Rome, the mayor of Rome was inviting people because Italy was one of the hardest hit countries when the pandemic first took hold of the world. And she invited the community to come out onto their balconies and sing to each other. And that really inspired me. It was very simple. It's a very simple gesture, but at the heart of it, it's about art and community, which is exactly what this is all about, and an opportunity to be hopeful. And so that's how Street Serenades was born. We would take music to every suburb of the city. And I look back and yeah, there was some tough times. I mean, you know, we we know, Adam, we love to stand around in the foyer and have a glass of champagne and have a chat. And that's such a big part of our industry, those exchanges, the personal touch, the connection in the foyers, pre, post, show events. That was actually illegal in 2020. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't actually stand up. It was those extra touches that you couldn't dance. I mean, can you imagine? And so we did Narita Waters, came out with that socially distanced dance club. Mm. There was all these really wonderful ideas, the good room, having these fabulous ideas, including calling people and and telling them a a very saucy tale. But (laughs) there was all these new concepts and innovations that came out. And for anyone that says to me, oh, you poor thing, you've had two really rotten years, I just go, oh, no, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. You know, we made 28 new works in 2020. That's the testament of the artist's Little Red, the Isolate Late Show at the Tivoli. How great was that? You know, the all of the things. And then in 21, being able to present Boy Swallows Universe, the biggest selling production that Brisbane Festival has ever done mm. with the borders closed. It's remarkable. And and I, I take my hat off to the community, really, because everybody got behind it and cherished every moment. And I think they're the great gifts that we've learnt over the last couple of years. And I just hope we don't lose those too quickly because anything can happen at any point. It feels in many ways that you are the right artistic director for Brisbane Festival at the right time. And that's not to say that you wouldn't be at any time, but I think, you know, one of the hallmarks of your tenure, not only at Brisbane Festival, but but your career, is this notion of activating art in unfamiliar or unexpected places, artistic intervention, as you say. Where did that begin for you in terms of your love of taking art to the people rather than asking the people to come to the art? I think it started when I was making shows as a theatre student uh, at university and, and I guess just being 
discontent with just being like everybody else and making it for the black box theatre at, at uni. I just wanted to do it differently. I, I, I don't know why, but I just did. So I would make, I you know, a very long time ago, but I made shows that went into bars in the Fortitude Valley, for example, as opposed to just taking putting it in a black box. It was, it, it was, I guess it just started back then. I love big shows in big proscenium arch theatres, don't get me wrong, but I suppose it did start then. But then when I created the Bleach Festival, apart from what's now hotter, but at the time it was the Gold Coast Arts Centre, the festival was created to be a festival of place. And a festival of place in a place like the Gold Coast is beach, it's hinterland, it's stunning locations. And so I had this opportunity over almost a decade to really refine my thinking as not only a curator, but a maker of site-specific work and really interrogate what that meant to create performance experiences on headlands, to create performance experiences in an estuary that then became a Heltman Award-winning project, operas on the beach, as you very well know. There's something magical about it. It's incredibly stressful because anything can go wrong. We had to put mitigations in place for sharks. We had to, the you know, rain contingencies is a constant nightmare but when it when it works and it all comes together and you're sitting in this magical location with this extraordinary performance happen, happening around you and the night sky, it, it's a pretty special experience. And it's a great way to show off uh, the features of a city. It's a great way to show the personality of the city. It's a great way to understand and discover a city. And And I guess that comes back to the first question about an arts festival that has been created with the the city at its heart, that's where I think a festival has so much opportunity. And sorry, I'm getting very passionate. The only other thing I would just say about this is that what outdoor site specific, it can be of scale or more intimate, but but when you start to look at scale, where things start to get really exciting for me is when you can herald that the festival is on because everybody's busy. You know, you need almost like a rocket to to shake things up sometimes. So if you've got these big, bold visual cues to let you know that this is festival time, I think that's really important as well. And I guess that was where the Gouldy and Finches were so important to me and to the 2020 festival and, and to the community because they were big visual cues, something is happening and this is not the everyday norm to have big six-metre Gordian Finches looking <laughs> down at me with a party hat on. <laughs> and of this year's festival program, what are some of those big beacons that you describe as part of this year's program? Number one is Brisbane's Art Boat. It came to fruition last year and it was this magical floating art installation that travelled between North Shore Brisbane up to South Bank. The home of the art boat is North Shore Brisbane and you can do various voyages. The whole point of this is to be walking along the Brisbane River, for example, and you may not know anything about the Brisbane Festival, which would be a disgrace, but (laughs) it happens. You're walking along and then you see this magical colour and 
delight floating by you and you're curious and you want to know more. And then you look it up and you find out on Instagram or whatever it may be, oh, it's Brisbane Festival and it's the art boat. I want to go on that. And then you go on that and you get to have a drink and you can this year go up onto the rooftop bar that we've created. But then you get to experience this world of art that's being created by one of the most high profile visual artists in Australia and in fact the world, Lindy Lee. And then in addition to that is a beautifully curated performance program that is very much uh, in line with Lindy's stunning work, The Spheres. And so that's the hero in terms of what we're talking about, these big visual cues. It's only in September that you get to travel the Brisbane River immersed in a Lindy Lee art installation. And that, to me, that's a festival. Mm. One of the really clear through lines in in this year's festival is the page-to-stage adaptations. Of the 22 world premieres that you mentioned, there are a handful that are some of this city, this country's most loved books of recent years that we get to see brought to life on our stage. And it's big business. You know, you, you mentioned earlier the success of Boy Swallow's Universe, the Tim McGarry adaptation of that incredible Trent Dalton book, which became QPAC's highest selling drama ever at last year's Brisbane Festival. What is it, do you think, about adaptations of, of books that has a particular resonance and a really strong resonance with audiences? I think that, as you say, I mean, some of these books that we're bringing to life, 14 by Shannon Malloy, Titus, Anita Heiss, for example, are very well-loved books. They've got strong audiences. The the authors are very popular, uh, award-winning, and they're current very much there's a currency, particularly with those two books for this year. I think one of the annual highlights of your festivals over the last couple of years has been Jumu or The Smoking, which officially opens the festival. It's this very beautiful, cathartic way to begin. What does the cleansing aspect of that event represent? The idea of Jumu really came about, I mean, Jumu is the terrible word for smoking. So it, it's 60,000 years old. However, in 2020, when I was talking to Shannon Rusker, who is the creative genius behind this particular project within the Brisbane Festival, but he's also a traditional owner to this country. And when I was talking to him about how we would start the 2020 festival, it felt like the year more than ever that we needed to set the tone in a really considered way that connected us to this country and that there was a sense of cleansing uh, and that's what comes from a smoking. And and originally my thinking and, and Shannon's was to have this citywide smoking ceremony. And I think it's just a beautiful tradition that invites the community to come together for this free gathering to really set the path in the most appropriate way for 20, for the festival that's ahead of them, I suppose. Yeah. For those traveling to Brisbane, This year's festival has 
a new format where you've almost curated very deliberately these wonderful kind of festive weekends, a chance for our interstate friends and family to come and have a really full, rounded Brisbane festival experience, no matter which of the four weekends they they find themselves in Brisbane. What's your recommendation for visiting friends and family to experience the creme de la creme of arts and culture over one weekend in September? Oh, I mean, they're all, as you say, they've all been curated with very different lenses. I guess I would say one thing. uh, I mean, I feel like I have to describe each of the four weekends. But one thing I would say is that through the entire festival, BOQ Festival Garden, our hub at South Bank is running. And this is where we've got cabaret, theatre, circus, music, dance, beautiful installations, one that's come from America that is free and glorious and lights up in the most wonderful way. So there's a home there for you at any point. So no matter what weekend you decide to come, that is something to note. The other thing to note is that every venue, QPAC, Powerhouse, Metro Arts, the Tivoli, the Princess Theatre, Le Boite, all have something happening every weekend as well. But you've asked, do I have to choose one? (laughs) You have to choose one. Maybe you don't have to choose one, but you could offer one that is particularly Okay. I can. Enjoyable for you. Well, I would have to say the second weekend of the festival, and that's when the Brisbane Art Boat has the Midnight Cruise because the Midnight Cruise is where I think Lindy Lee's creation will really come to life. It's it's also the full moon. And so to be on this work, the spheres that's all about the celestial world, it's about being outside of ourselves, it's about harmony, it's about inclusivity, it's about joy, it's about connectivity with these gorgeous big sculptures that are lit with this incredible sound design by Lawrence English. And then to be cruising down the river at midnight under the full moon feels like a very special experience that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And then, of course, there's so many productions that are happening across the city that weekend as well. But I do think that that's quite a special one. But as I said, I could absolutely talk about each of them because there's something very special happening across each weekend of the festival. At this year's program launch, Lord Mayor Adrian Schrinner remarked, you've just defined the essence of Brisbane. What is the essence of Brisbane? Well, I talked about this dynamic optimism and I talked about how we need to have a sense of dynamic optimism to look forward. It kind of anchors the festival program. It's the hook that brings everything together because I think that Brisbane is an optimistic city. I think it's a dynamic city and I think that this program, I hope, really infuses this sense of dynamic optimism. You've mentioned uh, throughout our chat a number of the incredible partners that that are playing a vital role in, in bringing this festival and indeed a festival of this scale to life. And, and one of the most exciting new partnerships, I think, is with Profit for Purpose organisation CPL, uh, Choice Passion Life, in a new partnership as access and inclusion partner. What does this entail? 
Oh, it, there is so many layers to this. And I think that this is an extraordinary partnership to talk about. This came about through the Brisbane Festival's inclusion of the Undercover Artist Festival that takes place every two years. And it was in the Brisbane Festival last year. And it's run by Access Arts, which is part of CPL. And so to continue that connection and to continue to have uh, a truly inclusive, accessible program, a partnership directly between CPL and Brisbane Festival was created this year. And so with that, we are looking at ensuring that we truly are an accessible festival. You know, I talk a lot about um, being a festival for everybody. We've got a program that's being created with the Department of Housing, Night Walks with Teenagers, the mammalian diving reflex company from Canada uh, who make the most remarkable social impact work. But what CPL's partnership does is make us look a little bit deeper and, and make us really consider how accessible each of our sites are, how easy they are to read or not read. How do we make our website more accessible for everybody. And it really does, once you start to go down this path, it's it's critical, number one, you know, going back to the first point we talked about, a festival being for everybody, but working with uh, experts who can really ensure that we do this in the right way is critical. And then, of course, there's some specific programs in the festival that they are aligned to, but it's much bigger than that. There is um, a genuine commitment from both organisations to ensure that Brisbane Festival is accessible and welcoming to everybody. Mm. Now, I feel like this final question is going to be particularly hard for you, especially following your difficulty in choosing your favourite festive weekend. But for those who are very familiar with the festival or for those who are perhaps discovering it for the first time, I want to hear from you as the artistic director, your best of the fest top picks. So I'm going to give you a, a type of person okay. and I want to hear your recommendation for what you think that they might enjoy. Starting us off for families. Families, their top five. Just one. Oh, just one. Yeah, we'll be here for days. Oh, oh, <laughs> well. Uh, Cirque Olio. I'm going to choose for families because it is a wonderful circus come magic production in our piazza, which is our lovely place to gather at South Bank where we've created this little cabaret circus wonderland. Hopefully people experience and feel this year, but I'm going to pick Cirque Olio for the families. What about for a first date? The art boat, because it's... It's beautiful and it has a romantic nature. Maybe the Midnight Cruise mm. for a first date. Yeah. Gosh, that's a, that's a first date going well if it's a Midnight well, Cruise. Well, that is true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, what someone about, can ask me on my first date. <laughs> what about the show to share with your mum? Sunshine Supergirl or Titus. I got two in there. I think they're the shows to, to take your mum to. And what about for, for someone seeking something totally surprising? 
This is really hard, Adam, but I like your question. Can I choose a couple? The purple rabbit, because it is surprising and fun and... Naughty. And naughty. And Strut and Fret do that very well. So I'm going to put the purple rabbit in there. I'm also going to put considerable sexual license in there, Joel Bray. Now, Joel Bray knows how to put on a production, but he's not going to let you off lightly. You'll have some moments of pure wonder dance experience that you're involved and participating in, but then he's going to slap you across the face with some pretty hard edge pieces of content that I think we all need to see and experience. So they're Hopefully my two. not with a purple rabbit. No, not with a purple <laughs> rabbit. A very different, very different experience. But but Joel has created an extraordinary production with considerable sexual license. Mm. And you we've spoken a lot today about optimism mm. and what about your recommendation for the broken hearted? <laughs> for those who need that optimism this September, what would you recommend? Well, I they could go to Merrick Watts, An Idiot's Guide to Wine Tasting, because <laughs> there's a comedian and a wine connoisseur. So that could be a great way to heal the heart. Um, maybe not. I reckon maybe raise the roof. You could go to Patience Hodgson's party or the Good Rooms party and have a riotous night of fun and frivolity and maybe meet someone or just go with your girlfriends or your boyfriends or whoever it is in your life that makes you happy. Um, So I do think Raise the Roof could be really great. Um, Or if you just want to sit in your own moment of pain, but then be transported to a new place of glory, maybe Wayfinder could be your Wayfinder out of your heartbreak. Mm, there you have it. Our guest today has been Brisbane Festival Artistic Director Louise Bazina. Brisbane Festival returns to fill the city with three weeks of wonder, delight, optimism and celebration from the 2nd to the 24th of September. For information and tickets, visit brisbanefestival.com.au. Thank you, Louise. Thank you, Adam. It's been lovely to talk to you. 